Let's stand together now as the Lord calls us to worship. The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 97. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of isles be glad. Clouds and darkness surround Him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of His throne. A fire goes before Him and burns up His enemies round about. His lightnings light the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the Lord of the whole earth, the heavens declare His righteousness, and all the peoples see His glory. Amen. to you today as your people, the church, and we cry out to you, it is our heart's cry that we would lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to recognize and to see his beauty and holiness in the gospel. Lord, we pray that as we worship you today, everything that we say and do would bring honor and glory to you alone. And Lord, we join our hearts together as your people and pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud together, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to be reciting together the Apostles' Creed. I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty.
From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the book of Isaiah, chapter 46. The word of the Lord says, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been upheld by me from birth, who have been carried from the womb. Even to your old age I am he, and even to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made you, and I will bear. Even I will carry, and I will deliver you. Amen. As we continue to worship, please turn in your hymnal to number 125 and let's sing together, Let All Things Now Living. Can somebody tell me why you want to wear Iron Man's suit? James. 
It's cool. Yes. Yes. Anybody else? Why? Samuel. Because you can fly. Because you can fly. So, Iron Man's suit, and maybe some of you aren't familiar with it, but it's, it's a pretty uh, amazing suit. Josiah and I were talking about this yesterday morning. He said, why do you like Iron Man's suit so much? And when Iron Man puts on his suit, he can do things that people that just wear a regular suit can't wear, can't do. Um, he can fly, he can protect people, uh, he can move really fast. But don't you know that if, if every one of us got a suit like Iron Man's, we wouldn't be him? You know that? You wouldn't be Iron Man just because you put on his suit? You know in the Bible that God says he's doing something to each of us without a special suit? It says that he's transforming every one of us. And just like you might think putting on Iron Man's suit would make you be Iron Man, you could do those things. Actually, much more. Jesus said in his word that if we belong to him, we are being changed into his likeness. I don't mean that if you believe in Jesus and you look in the mirror, you're going to start changing. Your hair is going to be a different color. You might grow a beard. I don't mean those things. I mean that in your heart, he promises that he will change you. He will take out a heart that doesn't love God, that doesn't want to obey him. And he will actually put a heart in you that wants to. That wants to love Him and walk in His ways and be like Him. And there's nothing better in all the world. No experience you could have, no place you could go, no fun thing you could do that comes close to comparing to being like Jesus. And I also want to ask you another question. We have all these shoe boxes on the platform this morning. Does anybody know who is missing all these shoes? <laughs> do you know why they're here? Anybody? Why are they here? I do. You do? Because they're sending to kids that don't have things that we do. We're sending to, to kids that don't have things. That's exactly right. Yes. We're sending it to kids that um, don't have what we have and they don't have toys. That's right. We're sending to children that don't have. That don't have toys and don't have many things. And there's also something special that these boxes represent. Actually, two things that these boxes represent. They represent generosity and love from our church family. These are not empty boxes. These are boxes that people have lovingly prepared out of their faithfulness and devotion to the Lord Jesus. They prepared them. And yet we're going to pray in just a moment. I want to pray for you uh, that the Lord would show you himself as he makes you like himself. But I also want to pray for the boys and girls who are going to get these who wouldn't know Christmas maybe apart from these, and may not ever hear about Jesus except for these boxes. Can you imagine that? Every Sunday we come to church and we worship the living God. And some of the children who will receive this, this might be the first time that they hear about the Lord Jesus. So I want to pray now, okay? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the, the privilege that it is to be here on Sunday morning to worship you to be gathered as your people, the church. And Lord, I thank you and praise you for each one of these covenant children here today and for those who wanted to be here today but couldn't be. Lord, I pray that you would make them like yourself as you promised you would, that you would be changing them in one degree of glory and another into the likeness of the Lord Jesus. 
Lord, I pray that you would help them to strive by all the means of your appointing that they would know you better. Lord, I pray for that this morning. I pray for it this week. And I pray for their families as they spend time together, as they open the Bible and read it, that they would hold up the Lord Jesus Christ and see him as the most beautiful person in all the world. Lord, I pray and thank you for the gift of these boxes and what they represent in love and faithfulness and devotion to you. I thank you for Miss Julianne organizing that we might be able to participate in this together as a church family. And Lord, I do pray for each little one that receives a box, that receives things and opens gifts, and as they think about what they see and as they hear about the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, we pray right now, before these boxes leave, we pray that as they reach the right little boy or little girl, that they would hear of love in Jesus Christ that they have never known, and a Savior who died for the sins of his people. And Lord, I pray that their hearts would be quickened by faith, that you would do the miraculous work in their hearts of giving them faith, and they cry out to you, the living God, save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. This morning for our responsive reading, we're going to be reading together um, Psalm 101. It's on page 821 in your green hymnal. Page 821, Psalm 101. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. I will sing of your love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing. I will walk in my house with blameless heart. The deeds of faithless men I hate, they will not cling to me. Whoever slanders his neighbor in secret, him will I put to silence. My eyes will be on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. Every morning I will put to silence all the wicked in the land. As we continue to worship, let's stand together and turn to hymn number 115 and sing together all creatures of our God and King.
This morning for our pastoral prayer time, I wanted to pray for Jeffrey from the video that we saw earlier, and also pray for those in our congregation, in our church family here who are sick. Uh, There are some who are not here with us even this morning because of sickness. And so I want to pray for one another that the Lord would have his hand upon us and that he would bless our time in just a few moments as we read his word together and hear what the Lord would have to say to us from his word. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you hear us as your people as we raise up our hearts and our voices to you in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the work that you have done through this church family, through faithful giving, to be able to provide for Jeffrey, to be able to go through seminary. And to do so debt-free, Lord, is not a small matter, even in another country. Lord, I thank you for our participation in the gospel with him. And Lord, we pray for he and his family that he would continue through the rest of this year. He has just a, a short time left to finish his dissertation. And Lord, I pray that you would bless him in his studies, that he would be able to finish. And Lord, I pray that in the work that he's doing in in the church there in Barbosa, Lord, I pray that you would bless those in the church family there, that as they gather for worship, that they would be blessed by his study of your word, that it would be a sweet savor to you as he goes to, to preach the gospel and to minister to those there whom you have placed in his care. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for being able to participate with him in sharing the gospel with people there. Lord, I do pray also for our church family here. There are many in our church family who are sick or recovering from sickness or who are going through something that is more long term than uh, just the flu, even though it is it is very rough. Lord, I pray that you would be with all of us in our health. And Lord, I pray for those who are suffering with things that have been ongoing for some time and there doesn't seem to be any relief or very little relief. Lord, I pray for a heart and a mind of faith and steadfastness in the path of obedience that you have called us to walk. Lord, I pray for those who are who are struggling, whose days seem to be dark, even if it is light. Lord, I pray for hope and light in the gospel for them. I pray for those who are going through difficult sickness and are are struggling through it, and who would say, I do believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. Lord, I pray that you would be near to each of us. And I pray for our church family here gathered this morning. Lord, as we open our Bibles in just a few moments, I pray that by your Spirit, you would pour out understanding and belief and faith, and that you would work in our hearts that we would believe the words that we are reading as the sacred scriptures that you have given to us. In Jesus' name, I pray all these things. Amen.
want to invite you to open your Bible uh, to the book of Psalms, chapter 23. We're going to be reading uh, this morning, verse 6. This is the word of the Lord, Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Today we near the end of our series, The Good Shepherd, looking at Psalm 23, specifically focusing on the beginning of verse 6. The sermon is entitled, Goodness and Mercy Shall Follow Me. David ends this psalm with a beautiful, confident statement that God will never take his heart from him. Each verse of Psalm 23 has been building for some weeks now, building with assurance that God is both sufficient and present with his people. As David looks backward over life, he rejoices at the mighty acts of God in the past, not only in his life, but also in the life of God's people for all generations. As he looks forward, he does so in faith, in joyful anticipation of certain hope. And if we're honest with one another and with ourselves, we might say in our cynicism, I don't know that I believe this. And maybe wag our heads a bit at David's optimism. But listen to these words about David's life. David did not live a pie-in-the-sky type of life. Consider the story of David. There were the years of wilderness, guerrilla warfare against the Philistines, a perilous existence with Moody, Manic, King Saul, And all the painful groping and praying after God through the guilt of murder and adultery. Then in his old age he was chased from his throne by his own son and forced to set up a government in exile. And at the end of his life in 2 Samuel chapter 22, which I won't read, he sings a song to God of his faithfulness through all generations. It would be easy to wag our heads at David's words here and say, but these are the words of the man who was the king. But if you read your Bible, you see the life of a man who learned to live by faith. These words of David in Psalm 23 are beloved because they are words of a Christian man who lived life knowing the blessing of God, both in the trenches of life and in the triumphs of life. Because God had been faithful to his promise He had said, I will be with you, and he had been, and he promised to take care of him, and he has. And he said, this is how God has been faithful to me. So this morning I want to ask three questions, and I want to hope to answer them. Number one, what is David's confidence? Number two, how do we get it? And number three, why does it matter? So number one, what is David's confidence? He tells us here the first part of verse six. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. David is saying that God has followed me with mercy and goodness. And he will continue to do so throughout my life. Surely, he's saying, it will happen. God does not change. His covenant is sure and unfailing. David is making a statement of faith. In Numbers 23 verses 19 and 20. It reads, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? 
In James chapter 1, verse 17, Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Our Heavenly Father does not change. His covenant is sure and fixed and right and solid, as sure as His character is. He does not change. He says, David does, that this goodness and mercy of God, covenant faithfulness of the living God, will follow me all the days of my life. This word follow is, is not strong enough. It's been sanitized a bit. In the Hebrew, this word actually means pursue. Surely goodness and mercy have pursued me all of my life. And surely goodness and mercy will pursue me the rest of my life. God pursues me and He pursues you, dear saint, with an unrelenting grace. He will not let you go. In Jeremiah 31 verse 3 says, The Lord has appeared of old saying to me, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Do you believe that it is the loving kindness of God that has drawn you to Himself? It is His goodness and His faithfulness that draws us, His children, to Him. Normally in the Psalms, if you've, if you've read in the Psalms or come to prayer meeting, we've gone through many Psalms on Thursday mornings that deal with David's enemies or enemies of God's people. Normally in the Psalms, it's the enemies who are pursuing the psalmist in order to inflict bodily harm, to do something to him. But here the divine attributes of goodness and God's covenant love, His has said for His people, are pictured as incarnate forces which will not rest until they have tracked down and provided safe harbor for the endangered psalmist. It is a picture of God's relentless love. This same love that comes after you, dear people of God. We sing a song, O love that will not let me go. I cannot get out of His hand. Jesus promised No one can take you out of my hand because you have been placed there by my Father. So that's David's confidence that I belong to my Heavenly Father. The Lord is my shepherd. That's why he can say, I cannot want, I will not fear. And even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, nothing can touch me unless he brings it into my life. And notice in the psalm, he presented us last week that the Lord would present and prepare a table before Him in the presence of His enemies. And what we don't get in verse 6 is the elimination of those enemies. David leaves it unresolved. It's like a dissonant chord in a song. You don't get resolution in Psalm 23. The threat is not gone. He is saying, I believe this to be true in the face of threats. My God is not so small that my enemies have to be gone in order for me to feel secure. That's what David is saying. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, not my security. That is what he is hoping in. So how do we get it? Are we supposed to have this kind of confidence, dear believer? Do we have a full assurance of God's love as David did? That Christ has paid for my sins and that I belong to Him and I have a home? Do I believe that goodness and mercy are pursuing me even today, even though through the trials and the tribulations that I walk through, that my family walks through? 
How do you get this kind of assurance of hope in God's love? Number one, you get it by abandoning hope in everything else in this world and in this life to name you, to satisfy you, and to redeem you. No one else has the right authority or power to name you, to satisfy, or to redeem you than the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to lay aside eternal hope of trying your best to be nice or do better. You have to trust and rest in Jesus Christ alone. You must lay aside your sin, give it to Jesus, and say, please take this weight from me. And if you don't, then everything else you might as well throw away unless you are receiving and resting upon Christ alone. Throw everything else out that I'm saying because nothing else matters in this life. You must trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in Him alone. He has to be the one to pay for your sins. And if not, then you will forever in hell. That's the truth of the Bible. I want to share a quote with you from Ian Hamilton writing about Psalm 23. He says that we have to be willing to refuse to interpret the love of God through our experience in this life. There may be times in your life as a believer when the Lord will express His goodness and His love to you by bringing you into the deep waters, by allowing you to experience true and bitter heart disappointment by withholding some great longing from you. Those are challenging words for my heart, dear believers, this morning. But you have to refuse to interpret the love of God through your experience in life. And I mean this in three different ways. First, that the dark days of my life are not an indication that God is angry with me or that He has abandoned me. You have to believe that that's true. Or you can't sing these words with David. Secondly, laughter is not always alone. Many days, laughter is mixed with sorrow and pain and hardship. But those are so light and momentary that they are unable to drive drive out true happiness in the Savior. Is that true for you, dear believer? That the sorrows, pains, and hardships of this life are so light and momentary that they are unable to drive out true happiness in Jesus. Do you have true joy in Him that does not change, that does not shift, that does not wax and wane because of how life is going? Lastly, by refusing to interpret the love of God through your experience, you have to be able to say, I am free not to live by the futile strategy of avoiding anything that hurts. There are things in this life that do hurt. They do. And we cannot deny that. I want to share just a brief reading with you from uh, Eugene Peterson's book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. He says, A common but futile strategy for achieving joy is trying to eliminate things that hurt. Get rid of pain by numbing the nerve ends. Get rid of insecurity by eliminating all risks in life. Get rid of disappointment by depersonalizing your relationships. It's just merely transactional. 
I don't give you your heart. You don't give me mine. I can't be hurt if my expectations are not met. If I don't have any expectations of you. Is what he's saying. And then try to lighten the boredom of such a life by buying joy in the form of vacations and entertainment. It speaks to my heart. All of these things. All I'm trying to do is medicate and and do therapeutic work, not really see life for what it is and the difficulties for what it is, or even having hope in what Jesus offers. If I live that way, I'm not having the hope and the salvation that David spoke about. And there are times when you have to be able to say, and sometimes this is the only prayer you can pray, Lord, help me to distinguish right now in these moments of attacking doubts the reality of your love in Christ. And sometimes you say that, dear saints, through pain and tears. And sometimes those pains and those tears last more than just one night. You have to be able to say, like William Cowper, who spent 27 years of his life, at the end of his life, in the depths of depression. And he wrote these words in a hymn that we looked at as we studied the book of Ruth earlier this summer. He said, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. There are times where you are challenged in your faith to trust the providence of God that even what He's bringing into my life is difficult and hard. C.S. Lewis said in the book, The Problem of Pain, that if God's thoughts are different than ours and so different that we might have to be changed in ours to understand Him, then it's possible even that our thoughts about good and evil may even be wrong. That what we would pray for God to bring as good into our lives may not be the good that He desires to bring. And the evil that we would pray that He would keep away may actually be for our good. Only the living God can do that and change the circumstances of someone's life for the better. Only the living God can do that. How do we get this kind of assurance that David says here in Psalm 23, verse 6? By the gift of God's wisdom alone. Pray that He will give it to you. Let me share some words with you from the book of James, chapter 1. James, chapter 1. He was speaking to people who were going through difficulties in life. And he says, my brethren, the assurance of that, this is James speaking. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And then he says in such charitable tone, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. How do we get the assurance that David is expressing here by wisdom, by learning to live and to think God's ways in God's world. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
Do you fear the Lord? Are you wise in your own eyes? Those are questions that we should ask ourselves. What James is saying about wisdom and about praying to God is that this is God-ordained and God-given. I cannot work up wisdom according to the Spirit of God by simply thinking positively enough. Just thinking, well, it'll get better. It has to. If I smile, things will certainly get better. We have to believe that the difficulties and the trials and the struggles that we have are God's intentional work in my life. The opposite of what my wisdom would say. This feels bad. I need it to stop. This hurts. I need it to go away. It's the opposite of what we think sometimes that the Lord brings into our lives And we say, as we think and and pray in wisdom, this points me to live and to think by faith. It doesn't point me inward for interpretation. I read something this week. At some point in life, we all realize we're our biggest problem. And then my heart sank when I read the rest of the sentence. But then later in life, we also realize we're the solution too. You've got to be kidding me. I am my own worst enemy, but I am absolutely not my Savior. Praise God for each of us. We're not our solution. You cannot get the solution inside of you. Consider other saints throughout the history of God's people who have gone through difficulties. David, we have looked very briefly at his life and at a few occasions... But if you think only people who live successful lives, who don't seem to have pain, are people are the only people who belong to God, then consider Stephen, who was martyred for his faith, for speaking up. Consider Paul, who prayed to God three times, take this away from me, this sickness, whether it was a, a physical illness or a spiritual hardship. He prayed three times, Lord, take this away. And what did God say? No. He said, no, my grace is sufficient for you in this. That my power may be displayed in your weakness. Think of how Peter died, crucified, upside down. Think about John who was exiled on the island of Patmos. Think about these dear saints, people who suffered and whose lives were characterized by what the world would say is utter failure. If that's belonging to Jesus, I don't want it. If that's what it means to be in the household of faith, walking in the kingdom of God, don't let me have any part in it at all. Hear these words from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. As you think about difficulties, and I know that some of you are walking through them even today, and you are here even in the midst of them. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, that is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Do you have an eye? Do you have an inclination of looking at eternal things? Or are you only willing to look and believe at the things that you can see? If that's the case, you don't yet have the wisdom that James talked about in chapter 1 of his book. 
We do this. We do this kind of looking without losing heart at life. We do this according to God's wisdom, by faith in the Father's love, trusting in the perfection of His Son's atonement for our sins and the sealing of the Holy Spirit's presence in our life. Jesus came and gave everything for you and for me, that our sins might be forgiven, that the Father would be glorified, that He would have a name given that is above every name. He didn't come so that we would be comfortable and nice to one another. Or that we would have the best of everything this world has to offer. So my last question, I told you I had three. Why does it matter? Why does it matter that you go through this life And that you not simply wonder what it means to be assured of Christ's love, but to be solid and sure and unchanging that God does not change. Why does it matter? Number one, because God said it. God said these words. The Lord is my shepherd. In 1 John 5, verse 13, He wrote, These things I have written to you, that you may know that you have eternal life. God means for you to know that you belong in His family, to be assured of His love, to have no question about it. He intended for you to be sure. I To be able to sing, I am so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Not because I have my names on the rolls or I show up every Sunday or even put some money in the plate when they pass it. But I belong to God's family and when I pass out of this life, I will walk into His presence and have no doubt about it at all. Why does it matter? Because this kind of faith in the living God is the only place of true freedom. Everything else in this life is a counterfeit. It's a lie. It's nothing but mere sentimentality or pride in who I am. If I can point to things in me that give me assurance, then I should doubt my assurance. But if I can point to Him then it is sure and it is real and it is eternal. Not because I believe it, but because He did it. Lastly, why does it matter? Because God's work in us is a testimony of God's love for us and in us. And I want to end by reading Romans chapter 8. Beginning in verse 28. And these are words that many of you could quote and you've probably written them to one another or to yourself on a note card. Romans 8.28 And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. If you say, what is God doing in my life? Come read this verse. He is working in your life today, conforming you to the image of Christ, His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren, moreover whom He predestined, these He also called. Whom He called, these He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. This is the truth and hope of the Gospel. It is not in what we do. It is what has already been done for us. Everything that we've done has unearned heaven for us. We have earned judgment and hell forever because of our sins. Then I want to skip down. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? If Jesus, the Son of God, was not spared, if He died on the cross for His people, sinners, 
then certainly God will give you everything that you need to be hope-filled in Him. He is too loving not to do it. He is too powerful not to be able to. He absolutely can, and He does. And may the statement that David made in Psalm 23, verse 6, be a song that sings in your heart. Like that song, O love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe. That in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. And may you even be able to sing these words in dark days, in difficult times. O joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain. That morn shall tearless be. Jesus promised he would wipe away tears from every eye. That means that in this world you will have trouble. But Jesus promised, take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you for the gift of salvation through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we are not worthy, and yet you make us worthy. You cause us to be the sons and daughters of the living God, who according to your word, it says, we were brought forth by your word, not anything that we did. Lord, help us to point to You as we think about assurance. And in our doubts, Lord, may we look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together now as we respond to the Word, singing hymn number 53, Praise to the Lord, the Almighty.
offering to the glory of God. and our offerings that they would be a sweet smelling savor to you that they would be an act of worship and obedience to you that we say to our hearts we believe and trust that you have provided for us in the past you will provide for us today and we believe that you will do so in the future lord we do pray that you would continue to use our tithes and offerings for the sake of the spread of the glory of the name of the lord jesus christ throughout all the world lord we thank you Uh, that we may participate in this way in worship to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
the benediction of our Lord from 1 Peter chapter 5. May the God of all grace, who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a little while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To Him be glory forever and dominion forever and ever. Amen.